0: Bruce, I was listening to uh, your podcast, and I couldn't help but admire your wonderful, wonderful podcast voice. Thank you. You sound like an actual professional. Like you got a lovely timber,
1: lovely rhythm. Oh, thanks. Um, you know, I, I yeah, I did a little radio, a little college radio, and uh, um, yeah, a little. bit. I actually did a country station. Nice. Uh, in in New Jersey, of all places. Uh, Nice, big country scene in New Jersey. Not a big one, but we used to call it uh, (laughs) 1070 AM, the best station this side of the of Texas. Ah.
2: I have, to, I have to admit, I have no idea what the numbers and the AM-FM thing means in American radio talk. I mean, I've listened to it my entire life from listening to American movies and TV shows, but I have no idea what you guys mean when you say that.
1: Oh, they're just making it up, Steve. They're just uh-huh. making it up. <laughs> One is ampli- amplitude modification, the other one's frequency mob- modulation, but, uh, you know... That that doesn't get you much farther, I guess. You know. But then,
2: why are there always numbers before the radio station names? Oh well, that's
1: the uh, that's the way to uh, identify and the them. station.
2: Has to use that. It can't just call itself Bruce FM. It has to be ten one oh eight Bruce FM.
1: That's what it is. Yeah, and they have to clearly identify it every hour. At least when I was (laughs) doing radio back in the 90s. Oh, man, the land of the free. Yeah, sometimes it's not. I mean, thank you, Herbert Hoover. Uh, (laughs) You have to do a legal ID, which every hour you have to come on and say, like, Z100, Newark. You have to say, if your transmitter's in Newark, you got to say it. So you have all these rules. Yeah, FCC is pretty tight. And then to go to podcasting and just have no rules. Oh, yeah, where it's all jazz, (laughs) baby. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about the podcasts you don't play.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, yeah, your voice is so good. I was a little afraid that uh, Steve and I, by comparison, when we had you on the show, we'd sound like, kind of like, have you seen the the most recent Planet of the Apes movie series? Oh, the first one. Yeah, yeah. So like when the monkeys start, when the apes start learning to talk for the first time, and it's mostly all just intonated grunting, that's what I'm afraid Steve and I will sound like compared to you with your big professional American radio voice. (laughs)
2: In case you guys haven't figured it out, you're listening to a special guest and um, we have coming on from the United States, and because he's already dissed Hubert, Herbert Huber, um, you can tell that he is an expert on American history and how it relates to politics. It's Bruce Carlson from My History Can Beat Up Your Politics, a pretty mm-hmm. fantastic um, podcast that I've been listening to since about 2008, but I think, um, Bruce, you mentioned you've been going since
1: 2006. 2006, yes. Uh, great to be on. What am politics here?
2: Yeah, I mean you—you've been pretty much going since podcast really became a thing. Since the iPods meant that we had to start calling these audio files on recorders <laughs> podcasts.
1: <laughs> well, that's what it is, and I've noticed the change. Definitely a big spike in audience and usage uh, since they were literally the big white iPod that you would, you know, look like a, a card deck in your hand. And uh, I was—I was podcasting on that. There were a few definitely were a few out there this week in technology and and things like that, but um, I jumped right into it. I had a little radio background, so I, I jumped right into it, and it was just a great forum to do what I wanted to do, which was two things that I love politics but also looking at politics not just like it started yesterday but trying to bring context to them and looking at the history and sometimes a very deep history because there's often repetitions in what we see today and what happened in the past and uh, so that's that's what we've been doing since 2006 and going strong. So we, we've been going since February and we've been,
0: <laughs> <laughs> your, your podcast is like a proper big boy political podcast where you never talk about Georgia the jungle or what a taint is. So um, first of all, I'm sorry, I guess, <laughs>
1: for dragging you down to our, our lowly level, <laughs> um, but hopefully we can make it work. If anything, I've been accused of sometimes being a little dense, but it's it's uh, it's the way I am. I'm one of those older broadcasters where it's still a little bit of a of a show and Show must go on, type thing, yeah. and then also, yeah. uh, it's a lot of history to talk about, so we, we tend to mm-hmm. go get right into it, mm-hmm. yeah. please don't worry about it. I've also been accused of being dense, but I think <laughs> in, a, in a different manner, very different context, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, We're not going to do news today. There's no what I'm happening segment because we're recording this a little bit earlier than when it's actually going to go out. So we can either skip right past that or we can do what we've done in the past where we try and take a wild stab at what we think the news will be and see if we get it right. (laughs) Steve, do you have any predictions?
2: Uh yeah, Marine Le Pen, Marine Le Pen will win the French election. Uh, Theresa May will lose. Jeremy Corbyn will get in, and the two of them will collaborate with Vladimir Putin to allow the Russian Empire to reconquer Europe.
0: That sounds solid. That sounds solid. It's
2: definitely going to happen.
0: I also had a theory about Ther- Theresa May that I think will will come to light. It's a revelation that um. Theresa May is actually just two small kids, one standing on the other's shoulders in a trench coat and both children have differing views on how to govern and that's why she flip-flops so much.
2: So I think that will
1: come to
0: light.
2: So you see, Bruce, this is the kind of political um, knowledge that you're dealing with at the moment.
1: This is what I've been missing all this time since two thousand six. Yeah. So
0: what works for us, the, uh, Bruce, is having an idiot on your show,
1: <laughs> just to derail it every so often. There, there's, uh, you know, it's very common in TV shows uh, and 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 you know other other places where there has to be someone to ask the question. Someone needs the the. Needs to know. I've actually, people have made that suggestion. Can you get a Richie on your show? I have actually <laughs> said Richie, and this was 10 years ago. Um,
2: Richie, how, how loud were you when you were like, what, 14 back then, still asking questions all the time? Is that what was happening? Oh,
0: uh, my ignorance was so potent, it spread throughout the
1: world. <laughs> well, so now it's a gift to mankind. <laughs> it really is a gift to mankind because, because of it, we're getting some good questions answered by Stephen. Mm-hmm. So... You know, think of it that way. It's a blessing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But you see, most of the time I just make it up and try and make him happy when I do it. And that's why we've been tending to try and get as many guests on as we can. So that's (laughs) why you're here today, Bruce, to actually give him some proper knowledge into the listeners as well. Essentially, this podcast wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Trump. And it could be said that if it wasn't wasn't for the partisan, like the highly partisan and divided um, political scene that we have at the moment, then maybe Trump wouldn't have happened as well. So we've talked a lot about that and we've like, we're not, I guess we're liberal, but we're not you know, so doggedly liberal that we don't want to try and see what the other side say So, we've always been kind of looking at like what kind of middle grounds and cooperation and coalitions can be made out there, which doesn't really seem to want to ever happen in these days. So, I guess we've asked you on bruce to kind of answer two broad questions and spe- specifically about american politics is that is this a re- like is this hyper partisan age something new or has it happened so many times before and then is is there hope for some kind of some kind of middle ground broad coalition sure. or broad kind of compromises that can be made that could try and bring us into out of this black dark hole that we seem to be in well
1: sure i mean i think the first thing that must be said is that there always was Uh, Partisan atmosphere in American politics really since the very beginning it was constructed the American Republic if you really take the beginning not just from 1776 we declared independence but from 1787 when the Constitution uh, Constitutional Convention was had and the Constitution was ratified in the next year that it was always born out of uh, arguments, disagreements. The very Constitution was extremely controversial. Its passage is is perhaps an example historically of some of the compromises that were made, that a group of uh, men elected by each of the states went to Philadelphia in a convention and crafted a nifty Constitution with all sorts of provisions, most of which are still there. But then it went to the states for ratification, and each state in several states—Virginia, Massachusetts—said, "Well, this we don't like this document, but we'd like to change it this way and this way, and we'll ratify it if you make these changes." Which uh, later became the Bill of Rights amendments, the first ten amendments to our Constitution, Mm -hmm. in order to secure the passage and support from the states. So it's always a compromise between moderates, and you had the situation. When Virginia was looking at our Constitution, many of the great leaders, Thomas Jefferson, he was in France at the time, but George Washington, uh, who would become president, James Madison, kind of the crafter of the constitutional language, or at least in most of it, the general idea, and several Leading figures were from Virginia, but yet it was highly contested when the ratification vote to approve the Constitution came, and it really came down to a compromise between cooler heads, you know, between more moderate members who were, say, your uh, John Marshall, who would later become the justice of the Supreme Court, uh, who had served in the in with Washington, the Revolutionary Army, a significant lawyer in Virginia and politician. Mm-hmm. And his kind of uh, wisdom versus, say, Patrick Henry, Patrick Henry, who was one of the original patriots the give me liberty or give me death guy, who was rabidly against the Constitution. What like what reasons did they have to be against it? Oh, well, I mean, uh, he felt like that the federal government would be too large and powerful that eventually it would um, take away the power from the states in the United States, oh, that, and they That's would become, an issue,
2: of course, that you guys solved and has never talked about anymore. Of <laughs> yeah, right. A, <laughs> A lot of these worked, issues do, do,
1: do repeat. Do repeat. Uh, they, they never... But they never did become the worst, uh, like the worst fears, like uh, getting eroded to the point where the, where the states were nothing more than, like, federal departments um, or something like that, like districts, governing districts for the federal government, which was some of the fear, uh, some of the main fear about it, that someone like Henry would have been... Uh, bringing up, and then that, that a government could take your rights away as an individual, your speech rights, uh, right to bear arms is, is, is obviously still an issue in our politics, but those were issues that he felt that a federal government could take away, uh, rights that they could take away, whereas the state government, they felt pretty well protected in, in a place like Virginia uh, and with their assembly, even though sometimes they'd probably have to argue there, it was a little more local government. So you really start American politics with this constitutional battle, and it's rabidly fought in the press. Both sides, um, uh, federalists versus anti-federalists, supporters of the Constitution versus opponents, it's fought in. Uh, in New York and Virginia, there's there's particularly strong fights And either one of those states. Not ratifying the Constitution would have been a big problem because you would have had like a hole in the country <laughs> where one state would have been part of the union. Mm. And then Rhode Island didn't even show up to the Constitutional Convention, but eventually had to sign because otherwise they would be isolated. Oh,
0: really? <laughs> what prima donna's God. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, that
2: could have been so cool. They could have been just like sitting there as like a little independent state, like... I don't know, the Vatican or
0: something surrounded by the United States. That would have been amazing. With 100% less folks. A,
1: <laughs> a lot of those scenarios were, were talked about at the time. And Rhode Island was a kind of your, quote, liberal state, which kind of led to the forming of a constitution. And the, the forming of the constitution could be said to have been a little bit of a conservative step mm-hmm. uh, in some ways, because... Uh, Even though it created a large federal government, which today is seen as a liberal thing, back then it was some of the state governments, Rhode Island being prominent here, that were introducing things like stay laws, like you didn't have to pay your loans back as quickly as people would want to, or offering more support to people who were uh, rebelling in Massachusetts and some of the actions of the the state government, oh, printing paper money was something that James Madison and Washington are trading letters about. Oh my gosh, these states are issuing their too much of their own money. Why can't we get them on Apple Pay? <laughs> and uh, so that was, that's really one of the things that starts the Constitution. It's not seen that way today, but it really is one of the, it, it, it's to stop states from behaving badly. And uh, among other reasons, of course, but that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, also having a, a good one single leader to represent the country to the world. I kind
2: of joining up to make sure that you can't be walked over by Britain or France or some other big power that would have been hanging around at the time.
1: I think the uh, small period, and it's a really short period, sometimes it gets discussed in history as if it's this really long period. It's not really that long. Between the end of the Revolutionary War, which I would really put, not so much the Battle of Yorktown 1781, but at the Evacuation of New York. I mean, there was still a British force in New York City occupying it until 1783. Really, until they left, you didn't have territorial integrity for the new nation of the United States of America. Then you got 1784, 5, 6, you got about three years of some problems. Anarchy, one might say, in, in, it seemed like to some, a lot of different states with all their different forms of money. And uh, you form a, you you start writing a constitution in 1787. So it's really the beginning of the country. uh, The way I see it, with that, with that document, we've been fighting ever since. (laughs) <laughs> oh well, oh, I thought it was going to be a happily ever after, right there.
2: <laughs> I know. Come on, Richie. You, you've you've listened to the uh, to the Hamilton musical. That pretty much just covers everything that Bruce was talking about. Yeah,
1: I just <laughs> get distracted by all the sweet raps. That's true. Yeah, I, I I can sing a little, but I I can't rap. You know, like that. Anyway, <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, but you know, the answer to the question in terms of like how partisan were things in the past versus now. You know, always has to be yes. And there's just like two quick points to make. One is that the offices have always been contested. There's never been a time where someone said, oh, just let him be president. You know, yes, that (laughs) happens with the first president, George Washington, because he's such a hero (laughs) after the revolution. It never really. Happens again. A little bit, James Monroe. That was that was a particular time. Generally speaking, these offices have always been contested, and there's always been a strong press supporting one side or the other and attacks from all sides and and partisan attacks. And even even George Washington himself, by the second term of his presidency, is like these guys are, you know, comparing me to like a common thief. In the press, he's just bemoaning his treatment. He's getting attacked by Benjamin Franklin Bakke, who was uh, Benjamin Franklin's grandson, um, who was running a newspaper in Philadelphia. Politicians were subject to attack throughout the entire American Republic. You know that's something that's not too new. Um, and even today, where you have a kind of shockwave. I just did a podcast called "Shockwave 1981" because it was about. Reagan's ascendance and how when he was elected, it was so radically different because he was a different type of candidate who was saying different types of things about the U.S. and the Soviet Union, much more conservative on politics than even a lot of Republicans. So he comes in and it's a big shockwave and people like, oh, my gosh, you know, politics will never be the same. I think there you see some examples, though, that Later in his term, he was forced to make some compromises with the other party. Uh, one is on tax reform that uh, he had to work with Democrats. So by, you know, it comes into 1981 and enacts his legislation, kind of runs the show, big shockwave to the opponents. By the time you get to 1986, you're starting to have to, Reagan and Democrats are starting to have to compromise a bit.
2: Mm-hmm. So then in 81, was, was he hated as much as you could say that the Democrats would be... Dislike Trump, the Democrats are basically trying to band together. They to say that they won't make any kind of deal or compromise with President Trump. That they basically have to exist in opposition, or else what's the point in them being there? And they won't be able to. Well, basically, they'd be mm-hmm. they be afraid of being subject to the primary battles when it comes to the use to
1: of it. primaries in elections. Uh, a couple things are new: use of primaries in elections are new. Uh, newer in terms of threatening that, or it just being a common thing. Like I'm going to primer you, as I like to say, primary as a verb is is you know it happened in the past. Uh, we're going to primary you if you don't agree with your, if you don't toe the line. It's happened in the past, but it's it's much uh, stronger today, and the public is more aware of that as a weapon, and that that's going to have an influence really more in the GOP side. I, I always think that Democrats aren't as good at it, but they there have been some cases. You saw what happened with. Debbie Watson and Schultz uh, in the last election. I mean, if sure. they don't like somebody, there's movements now to do that. I think a key contrast, though, with 1981, as much as there's a similarity the kind of shockwave and how different politics was, is that Reagan was more popular. And uh, he he was, uh, you know, all you have to do is listen to some of the old recordings. I mean, he was a funny guy at times. He had a good way of summing up things. You know, he he uh, was a guy that came from movies and radio and was, was popular Not enormously popular in the beginning. He also, you know, he was shot um, in the third month of his uh, presidency. Oh, was it that soon? It was really soon. Right while they were deciding about legislation, a lot of it was stalled in the Congress. And even though um, it was never the type of opposition, the Democrats had the House, the Republicans had the Senate at that time in 1981. It was never quite the kind of dogged, like, we'll never vote for anything. Because there were numerous Democrats who saw the popularity of Reagan and were going to vote. His uh, tax package gets put through by a guy named Kent Hance, who's a Democrat in Texas. He actually, to win his seat, defeats a uh, fellow named George W. Bush, <laughs> who would become more important later. Spoilers. But, <laughs> but uh, so he's a Democrat, but then he's working with Reagan. So he had a lot more of that than no doubt. And uh, he was more popular and could influence more. But there was some opposition, and certainly when Reagan even toyed with the idea of social security reform, even just appointing a committee, there was rabid opposition from Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill and angry statements, and the Democrats did win in the midterm elections of 1982 and pick up some seats, and so that was seen as kind of the first stand against Reagan. By the time you're getting to 1986, there's a group like Bill Bradley of New Jersey, Senator, who are looking to where where they can work with them on arms control, on uh, tax reform. And they got a tax reform package that had many things that the Republicans didn't like, like lower taxes on or higher taxes on capital gains, um, a lot of closing of loopholes. And there were can't some see, things Democrats can't, can't didn't
2: like. Can't see that happening with uh, President Trump in power, though.
1: I can't see it, although one of the reasons I did that shockwave 1981 cast is that, um, you know, it is the first year. And I think a lot of it, even though it is true that an event occurred in 2016 that was Shocking and very different. And really, even for someone that studies history, that was pretty that was a pretty amazing election or extraordinary in a way. It still doesn't change certain things. We're still in the first year. And I, I still think that this kind of I, I think you already saw. I noticed at least that in the first month you saw that kind of the Sean Spicer and the real kind of a smash mouth type politics. And even that's starting to fade a little because you can't keep it up. You just can't keep doing that. Um, And eventually you're going to, you know, you can't just say we have our own media. We're, we're, this is what the truth is. And (laughs) we don't care what you say. Well, eventually it's just not going to, you're not going to be effective. And really where that comes out is working with Congress. And when a president can't work with Congress, they're not seen as successful. And you kind of saw that earlier with the first health care bills failure, yeah, that you can't just create a new media world and say you were successful. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> even with all your new media internet outlets, when you don't pass a bill in Congress, people are looking at you and saying, well, "What are you doing up there?" Would you
2: even give Trump any credit for what happened with the uh, recent pass of the repeal in the House, anyway, of the of the Oba- Ob- Obamacare bill, or do you think that's all down to the the Republicans in Congress? Rather, than I think
1: him? the they were embarrassed. The Republican in Congress, uh, I think that Trump probably was pushing them like look guys you know you're you're making air we are looking terrible here get something past it was his 100 days and he, he probably pressured as much as he could again i think that given his low popularity whether you know his team wants to acknowledge the existence of polls or not or say they're all fake news or whatever. <laughs> they're not fake news to members of Congress looking at them. So I think his influence is already being limited. And even that threat, even that threat that um, – we know is going on of like, well, Trump might be going to members and saying, I'm going to primary you in two years <laughs> if you don't vote. You know, that's a pretty strong threat. You can only do it so many times. And um, and for people to believe you. And there's also I had heard that in the first healthcare battle. The Trump people were saying, if you don't vote for this, we're going to primary you. And then like the Koch brothers or some really conservative groups are like, if you don't, if you do vote for this, we're going to primary you. Oh, so no, a
2: primary sandwich. <laughs> a primary sandwich. Yeah. And I forgot what I thought was going to be.
0: <laughs> I bet you it's going to be really insightful and interesting.
2: <laughs> we do a lot of editing on this show, Bruce, I think you're going to find out, although we've gotten pretty good to get up to this point. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, I don't but think every... you should change, I don't think you should change anything, but... Um, yeah, that, all that all that power
2: rests with Richie, this is where you see he does manage to come in and, and take the power because, yeah, the stupid things I say always manage to stay on the re- on the released episodes, but the stupid things that Richie say are usually... Uh, hit
0: they, the just somehow, they just somehow disappear. I don't know what's, how that happens, <laughs> yeah. but they're just gone.
1: <laughs> well... Uh, if I I, Anything
0: I record interesting things afterwards that I, I research and I just
1: chop <laughs> in. There, there's. A, I'll just add an original thought. There, there's, there are some interesting dynamics going on in American politics right now that Trump has opened up that I see that, that weren't as present before. And that's that you, you see unique opportunities because there are anti-Trump Republicans. There aren't many pro-Trump Democrats. There might be some people afraid of the voters or whatever that support Trump. If they're in Pennsylvania or Ohio or that, there there are a significant group of anti-Trump uh, Republicans or those who at least support him but won't support everything, and have made their strong opposition known, particularly in the Senate. Um, and I think there's a I think there's a larger group even that's kind of more hidden that that maybe didn't support him during the election. Like These are people that might come out on, on various issues down the line, and, and there might be some opportunities for Democrats to form coalition there on certain issues. Uh, this health care bill, when it goes to the Senate, might be yeah. one of them.
2: Well, that's like everyone, uh, even over here in the, uh, in the media coverage in the UK and Ireland, and we were kind of a little bit taken aback by how much of a celebration that we're Trump and the Republicans made about about how it passed the House because even we know that obviously that doesn't mean that it's it's made it to law yet. It still has to go through the Senate and everyone's kind of not even sure if it's going to make it through there.
1: I think here again there's a cautionary tale perhaps from 1981. Now one side of it is Bruce, you don't know what you're talking about. That this is a new <laughs> politics. And, I mean, that's always Bruce, you one... don't know what you're talking about. This is new <laughs> politics. See, it's, it, it, there. You have it, and uh, and the other side is that uh, you know we 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 have seen some things like this before. It might be that there's that you uh just to address what i think goes on with the cheering and the drinking of beer over passing legislation that knocks people off the healthcare rolls i think you've seen definitely an enlargement of the partisan viewpoints in congress in particular gerrymandering and that's where you know you can design congressional seats so that it's the most members from your party, you're getting the most seats out of it. All yeah, right. Yeah, we touched so on you're... that
2: before. The like, I had Richie look at um, the electoral maps, and he was.
1: It he... blew my fucking mind. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it is a huge factor. It goes all the way back to Elbridge Gerry, who's the guy that that from the early 1810s was running for governor of Massachusetts. And along with him, there was a slate of legislative candidates, and they turned, you know, back then the two parties were the Federalists and the Republicans, but the Federalists were dying, but they were very strong in Massachusetts and New England. They were able to turn a Federalist advantage into a Republican legislature by changing where the voters were in the districts. And so it looked like a giant monster, and so they called it the gerrymander. It looked like a kind of salamander. and oh, that's what ended. Like,
0: there wasn't just like an ugly guy named Jerry Mandering who they're like, oh, you're ugly. This is ugly. Let's name that
1: for you, Jerry. <laughs> well, there was Eldridge Jerry, but I, I don't know that he was that pretty. He, he <laughs> didn't do anything significant after that except become vice president and then die. <laughs> uh, not well, in that order. I mean, I, that, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Wait, he died
0: and then became <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know first that,
1: zombie vice president. Well, you know, there's that famous line from Daniel Webster when they gave him, they proposed uh, the uh, the VP nomination to him. And when, when they offered him that, he said, uh, gentlemen, I do not propose to die before I am laid to rest. <laughs> so... I mean, you know, it's it's always an office where where jokes are or jokes are made, you know, two two uh, brothers, uh, one went to the navy, one became vice president, neither were seen again, type of thing. Uh, <laughs> you could just go on and on and on for that, but uh that Jerry's Mander was always there, but here's what's happened uh recently. You start maybe with the 50s, 60s, 70s. Each decade you're getting better and better with cartography and the ability to isolate where voters are and just do this better and the computers get better each year. The Democrats were doing a bunch of this during the 80s by the way. Yeah. They turned California into a Democratic stronghold while Reagan was winning there for president in the same way that Republicans now in 2012, you know, turned uh, uh, Pennsylvania into a uh, into a stronghold for Republican House seats while Obama was winning that state, at least in 2012. So it, both sides have played the game at different times. It's just that each year it gets better and better, and you have a very gerrymandered house. When you said
2: gerrymandered house, I have the image now of them getting so minute with the dividing line that it's actually going to go through someone's house, so the liberal teenager has to vote in one district <laughs> and his conservative dad has <laughs> to vote in the other.
1: There are there are places where it's a street separates it. I know in Pennsylvania, around the Pittsburgh area, there's, there's some districts where they're... They cut into one side of the street is in a town is one congressman and the other side is another.
2: It's ludicrous. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like we talked about gerrymandering a good few times before, but uh, I don't think I actually mentioned how far back in history. So that's why we had you on, Bruce, to help (laughs) remind everyone that just because things are bad now or you think things are mega important because it's happening at the moment, you need to realize that sometimes take a breather, look back, listen to Bruce's podcast and realize that it has happened before and that you can infer some things from that to try and understand the present. So,
0: Richie, have you been schooled? I have been totally schooled. In fact, Bruce, you're giving me a whole new perspective on Steve. Steve's so modern. Steve's so current. <laughs> Steve is so trendy. Oh, oh, well, you know, yes. I mean, uh, but we've we've always done that. I mean, that's... You know. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, this has been fantastic. This has been amazing. There's, uh, there's there's a whole lot of history there. I think I sometimes, like, disregard, because America's so new, um, you know, it's only been 200 years or so that I kind of disregard the historical side of things. It's was, was wonderful just to, to, to be reminded that, no, it's not the case. A lot of stuff happened in those years, an awful lot of stuff. and
1: Yeah, I, I do think it's always, I mean, the, the press, particularly in the United States, you've had a, a relatively free press at almost all times. And you mm-hmm. had a lot more of it even in the founding of the country. And it was easier to start a printing press. It wasn't difficult and there were lots of views, and people were just savaged. Um, You've really only had a few periods in American history where it's the opposite. Democrats had the Congress for a really long time, from Eisenhower's presidency to Clinton's presidency. Democrats controlled the House of Representatives. So those periods are periods where things aren't so partisan because the one side's beaten the other. Mm -hmm. And that's really what... When we have nonpartisan periods in American history, it's because one side has beaten the other. But what you see, the reason things are so virulent right now is that there are two strong groups. You know, you kind of have uh, uh, between Trump and the anti-Trump Republicans, or to say say more, I don't want to use the term moderate, but just GOP believers in the House. That's a pretty strong group that on a lot of policies are going to agree. Some they'll disagree. And then you have kind of the resistance and the Democrats in Congress just, and Hillary Clinton's popular vote majority and those people, that's, that's still a very potent group. And you have two very potent groups in politics, and they're going to have at it. Well,
2: it's good, because it keeps us in the business anyway. As long as we keep on tearing lumps <laughs> out of each other, we get to come
1: on every couple of weeks and talk about it.
2: If you guys want to know more about American politics and the history that is influencing it, you should most definitely check out Bruce's podcast. It's My History. You can beat up your politics. Um, available at all good podcast apps and stores. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, plug your website, plug your Twitter, all it's that uh, stuff. It's www.myhistorycanbeatupyourpolitics.com. And if you want to talk to me on Twitter, it's at M-Y-H-I-S-T, at myhist. Bruce
2: is so trendy and happening that he doesn't have an Instagram account now as well. Um, I'm up, <laughs> yeah, it makes us look <laughs> outdated. Right. uh
0: Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, leave a review on iTunes, all that stuff. Tell a friend. Even or tell a stranger? I don't know. We're just trying to get ourselves. <laughs> I don't really care. How I we would do advise. It. Like you, you might get in trouble if you just would, you know, tell a stranger on the street. You know what? Well then, Bruce, you've just blown open my whole marketing strategy. That's <laughs> how <laughs> <laughs> we got we've gotten this far. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> just been going around San Francisco shouting at people.
2: Well, that's what everyone well, in San Francisco does. So that's that's
0: what only, I was does. gonna say,
1: you can't be the only one. I mean, I'd suggest a sandwich board <laughs> or something like that. You know, that's how. That's That's how I got started. Brilliant. Okay. okay. There we go. There we go. Learning from the masters. Bruce, thank you so, so much. You're
0: welcome. Great to be on here. All right. Take care.